We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And it feels good to be back behind the microphones, Chris. It feels good. I like this. We're back here again after a little, uh, what do you want to call it, a vacation? Podcast vacation? Something like that. Uh, my family was in town, so uh, we didn't record last week. So... Nice to nice to not have this kitchen table with podcast items strung about. Is it nice though? I mean, what? So, so well, first of all, for for those of you, because we got a lot of email. There were some emails. There were some messages. People who were like, "Oh my god, are you guys done for the summer?" No, listen. Sometimes you have to take a little podcast vacation. Now we still aired an episode, which for those of you who haven't heard it, uh, I think Ryan Sullivan did a great job. A great job talking us through power ranking the AFC East and also defending his horrific food takes. Yeah, it, what uh, he also put out like a uh, I roasted him on uh, on Twitter because he put that video out of some like sinkhole to hell in the ocean opened up and I was like that's where we put your food takes and <laughs> it worked out that he tw- had to, got to tweet that out I got to roast him worked with the podcast being released it was perfect. It might have been the finest thing you've done on Twitter ever. Yeah. I was impressed. I was impressed. But see, guys, sometimes you have to step away. Now, first of all, things are getting busy. I have a kid. We've both got lives. It's nice out, which here in Buffalo is like, this is like a, these summer months are like a delicacy, right? And also, burnout is a real thing. So with that in mind, you want to try to maximize these opportunities to enjoy the time you have. And when you've got family in town and you've got a 4th of July weekend coming up and you've got... It, it's just a lot. And so sometimes you got to take a step back. Now, Chris, what did you do with your time away? Well, my, my brother and my sister-in-law came in from Lawrence, Kansas to go to a wedding in 
It was in Tonawanda. Like, the ceremony was in Tonawanda, which was already a bad choice. And then they so had. So there's a divorce coming in the future. I mean, that's tainted already. Most likely. And then the reception, though, was at Resurgence down on Chicago. And my brother kept texting me throughout the night of how, how great some of the beer was that they had at Resurgence. And then with them coming up, they came up like. Probably four days early than you need to for a wedding, and my mom and dad drove up from Atlanta. Yeah, your parents drove up from Atlanta. It was actually kind of cool because you. I mean, I've met your mom, I've met your dad. Um, it was funny because I was texting Chris because for those of you who don't know, Chris's mom. Well, <laughs> oh. she does listen to the show, so hey, Mrs. Kruger, you got it going on. All right. I'm shooting you finger guns right now. You can't you can't see it, but just imagine it. So, but I've met her, and I've met your father before, but they've never met my family, and they never met my son. So it was nice that you guys all came over, got to see, got to see where all the madness happens on Sundays. We had some nice conversation. Um, it was funny to me because as your mom and dad were you you were all leaving, and you and your brother and sister had already walked outside, and your dad went with sister in law, sister in law, and. Your mom was like saying goodbye to Larissa and I, and she <laughs> hugged us both. And she was like, thank you for being such a good friend to Chris. You, you're like family. It means so much to him and it means so much to me. And it was one of those moments where I, it like caught me off guard. But also when she said it, I thought to myself, it's weird because Chris really is one of my best friends. And yet we have so much animosity towards one another. We cannot go. We can't go like five minutes in the room together without being <laughs> mean to each other. Now, do you think part of that comes from just like we have a same like a similar sense of humor? Uh, we enjoy the same type of uh, comedy, which sometimes is punching down. Sometimes it's pretty crass. I, I I don't know where it comes from, but I but I was just thinking about that. I'm like. I don't know that it's possible to have a best friend who you also simultaneously just want to fight sometimes. Like, yeah, I get, I, yeah, I, I get it. it. My mom talks about that like all the time. Like, oh, you're such a good friend. I'm like, I will make fun of that dude as often as possible. <laughs> so my weekend was pretty good. I, it was a hell of a weekend. First of all, my kid's first Fourth of July. Turns out he loves he loves pools and he also loves fireworks, which is a, d- huge for me. My wife shot her first nine millimeter handgun because obviously when it's Fourth of July and you're out in North Collins, that's what you do. Is there has to be firearms, right? And my mom won a basket of liquor from from her employer. Like they had a raffle in the office, so she won a giant cooler filled with liquor bottles. So it was great. <laughs> Booze, fireworks. Handguns, America. But the funniest part about that was my wife was a little scared at first to pull the trigger on it. And when she did, she actually had a pretty decent shot. But then there was just this look of horror on her face. And she handed the gun back to my brother. And then she looks at me and she's like, my ears, my ears. And I'm like, oh, that's right. You don't know. And then she's like, well, how long does this, your ears are ringing because you just fired a handgun with no hearing protection. And she goes, she goes, how long does this last? I was like, I don't know. It doesn't happen to me anymore. Because <laughs> see, me and my brothers from years of this kind of reckless behavior are just all tinnitus up. Like, we're all shot. 
That's hilarious because uh, my dad is. You asked my dad. My dad is in pretty good marksman. He is into handguns. He is on the a first name basis with the shooting place that he goes to in Roswell on Highway Nine. I've been. I went when I went to uh, 2019 Christmas. I went with him to the gun range, and my brother and I shot a couple of guns. Like I only shot like handguns, and then my brother like went in with like the heavy artillery, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm I'm good with that. I'll just fire handguns. This is fun. Well, and in typical North Collins fashion, we weren't shooting targets. See, like where you had your experience on an actual range with real targets. We were literally shooting at doors that my father and I removed from their home and replaced a few exterior doors. Just leaned up against the tree line. <laughs> that is some of the most North Collins shit I've ever heard. I would have I would have thought you were shooting into a uh, rusted out wheelless seventy uh, nine Ford Pinto. <laughs> Listen, if I could find a good shooting car, please, I would already have one. But then something, and this might even be more North Collins, and it leads me to a question for our listeners. So I smoked some barbecue chicken for the, I did a couple chickens. We did pulled chicken and stuff. I do this thing. When you buy a whole chicken, you take the innards out, right? They always have like the giblets and there's usually a heart, giblets, a liver, the neck, all of that stuff is either inside of a pouch or just free inside of the cavity, the body cavity of the chicken. So now when I, I spatchcock my chicken so that they cook more thoroughly, which I mean, that's really the only way to do it. If you're not, then you're kind of, you're an idiot. <laughs> that, that's where you like cut the chicken like in half so it lays flat on yes. the grill. Yeah, so that you can expand it so that it cooks more evenly throughout the bird. But one of my favorite things to do when I'm doing this is I make a little boat little boat out of tinfoil, and I like to take the neck and the liver and the giblets and the heart, and I throw them in there. I season them with a little bit of, it's called Beaumont, and maybe a little salt and pepper. And I throw those in the smoker. And they take about an hour, hour and a half. The chicken takes about three hours, so it's a nice little mid-smoke snack. Now, I didn't warn my wife. I just was like, oh, hey, some of the food's done. Do you want to try it? And so she took a bite out of chicken neck. And then I told her what it was. And she con- she said, she's like, I'm going to go make myself throw up and I hate you. And I started, I'm like, why does everyone have such a problem with this? Chris, would you eat smoked chicken innards? I mean, if I were to present them to you. If they were presented to me how you presented them to your wife without giving any information to what this is, probably not. But if you're like, oh, hey, this is like chicken liver or this is the neck of the chicken or whatever, then I I, I would prepare myself to try it. See, and I appreciate that because that's, that's the thing that drove, drove me crazy. Everyone that I've talked to about this, Ryan Lasel from Rock Sports, he's in, he smokes and grills and does things. Everyone I've talked to about this seems to be of the mindset that that's some hillbilly nonsense, which I take personally. (laughs) I don't take much personally, but come on now. Some smoked chicken innards. Is that weird? And also, what other weird things do people out there smoke? Tweet at us at Report. I want to know what weird barbecue and grilling things you guys do. And I want to know, hillbilly or not hillbilly, eating smoked chicken innards. 
Now, before we dig into the nuts and bolts of tonight's show, because we've got a lot here on the docket to talk about, and we're going to kind of set up what I hope to be a recurring show each and every week throughout the month of July to get us through this nonsense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we can get into that, I have a beer review. You know, we're going to kick things off. We're going to get <laughs> we're going to get back to doing things the rock pile way. It's a beer that Chris found at Wegmans called it's made by Trip Hammer Brewing. Trip Hammer Beer Works, spelled B I E R W E R K S. So are they trying. labeled where they are on the can? Okay, Fairport, New York. Job by Roch. It's called Revenge of the Scroob. And the label looks like a, it's like in a Star Wars-ish font, and it's called the Schwartz Beer. The description of the beer. Revenge of the Scroob is the perfect black lager to enjoy with your father's, brother's, nephew's, cousin's, former roommate. Darker than the inky blackness of space, this beer will have your taste buds going plaid with subtle hints of chocolate and coffee. Chocolate and coffee. So I'm thinking a stout, right? I guess. Crack this bad boy open. Fill my cup there. Yeah, we don't uh, have much. I don't get much stouts because I'm, I'm not sure that you're a heavy fan of the stout. I'm not usually. Now, I'm pouring it into a glass because I feel like that's how you have to drink a scout, not out of a can. But it, it's funny because it doesn't have the normal character. It's not heavy the way you would expect a stout to be. It doesn't smell that bad. No, and it doesn't smell like as... Coffee-like as a stout traditionally would. It's going to be interesting. Cheers, sir. Cheers. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. On the palate. Now that is an interesting beer. Okay. So if I can describe what's happening in my mouth, there's almost like a pucker going on in my mouth. But there's also... You can taste a little coffee. You can taste a little chocolate. You get some like caramel, almost like toffee in there. But it's super thin. And it's a very light beer. And then there's like a tang that kicks in on the back end of like a wheat beer. I'm getting yeah, I'm getting like a like a bitterness almost on the back. Yeah. This is an interesting where the hell did you find this? Wegmans. Wegmans, huh? Fairport. Trip Hammer Bro- I'm not going to lie to you. This is... I like this. Although the first sip... Let me see. Maybe second sip. 
I've already been sipping several sips of this. Like, I'm not much of... A, I'm already not... I'm not much of a beer drinker to begin with, but, I mean, it's not... I don't absolutely hate it, but I don't love it. So I'd like... If I was to... What we do over at the After the Snap podcast is we give it a Snaposity score. And what would you give this? I would probably give this a 5.7 Snaposity. <laughs> so it's right down the middle, huh? For me, I'm willing to give it a 7. I'm going to say that for being a darker beer with all the flavors and notes of a dark beer, the fact that it's light, because it's essentially a wheat beer. I mean, it's a black ale. It's, it drinks really well. I could see on a hot day pounding back a few of these. It's not that bad. You done well, sir. You done well. And as Chris is throwing in a shameless plug for his other podcast, After the Snap, if you guys aren't already subscribed to the After the Snap podcast, make sure you go check it out. Chris, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere you get your uh, yeah podcast. It's everywhere. Reading Blake Ferguson, talking about life, talking about football, and apparently reviewing beer. And so that brings us to tonight's show. The position battle primer. We've reached, Chris, we've reached the worst part of every single football season. This summer lull that happens every July. I mean, think about how lucky we are right now that hockey just ended last night. Hockey just ended last night. It's over. But it should have been over like a month ago if the schedule had been normalized. Basketball is still going on, but again, if the schedule had been normalized and they started when they normally did in October, even with the extra games, I feel like it would either be done or just be wrapping up, right? 100%. Also, NBA unwatchable. (laughs) I legitimately turned the game off the other night. I tried. I tried watching it and couldn't do it. But we're now stuck in this summer hellscape, this awful time of year where people are forced to endure baseball being the only televised sport. Where the mainstream media is busy either making bold predictions and just bloviating about things that can't actually be quantified. Like this morning, I'm driving into work and I'm listening to ESPN Radio. Dan Orlovsky and Keyshawn Johnson are arguing over which NFC team has the quote-unquote best quarterback situation. And Dan Orlovsky says, well, you know, I, I think it's got to be the Rams because they have the best, you know, st- they the best starting quarterback outside of Russell Wilson and blah, 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 blah. And they're the, the offense and this is going to, you know, he, I played with him and he's a winner and blah, blah, blah. And then Keyshawn Johnson comes in and goes, no, the best quarterback situation is the 49ers because they have a quarterback they went to a Super Bowl with, but then they also have the future of their team on the roster. And I'm just sitting there going, what the, what the hell are we talking about? What are we debating? Is there a right answer? No. Well, then what, what are we talking about? I've got a cliche response here. If he said San Francisco was the best situation, mm-hmm. isn't it if you have two quarterbacks, you have none? Thank you. It's, it was just one of those. Just, or they're out here beating dead horses. Like the Ertz to Buffalo trade that for some reason, like a zombie from The Walking Dead, still pops up once every week and a half to two weeks and just tries to devour a little bit more of my sanity. (laughs) I'm almost going to stroke out here. Are we done talking about this? I feel like if it was going to happen, it would have happened, right? Yeah, but we we don't need you to Teddy Bruschi on the show, but... (laughs) Zach Ertz to Buffalo. <laughs> Sorry. I mean. Don't ever apologize for that. That's hilarious. No, because he deserved it. 
neither here nor there. The Zach, the Zach Ertz thing is the longer it goes on, I think the longer it plays to Buffalo's favor because if the Eagles are asking so much, then you know you should be able to find another partner. And if they're not, then as time goes on, I would think the trade value diminishes. So maybe we'll have a deal in place by 2040. I just, it, it kills me. Like, like, here's the thing. My sanity, just being a football junkie and trying to find stuff to like, that, that's actually like, hey, this is topical. This is fun. This is something I'm interested in. I just, like, we as football junkies are out here just dying a little inside every single day. It can't just be me. I can't be the only person here who feels this way. Right? No. And we don't even have the CFL to fall back on. <laughs> no, that's even gone. And it's not anyone's fault that I feel this way or that we collectively feel this way. There's just not a lot happening in the world of football, which means that so much of what's going to get discussed is painfully subjective and very widely open to interpretation, like the whose quarterback situation is better conversation, which I just don't have any. I don't have any. <laughs> I just don't care. Well, if you, want, if you want to keep it close to the to the team. You know, what's been going on Twitter the last couple of weeks is who made who? Did Allen make Diggs or did Diggs make Allen? That's been a hot button topic. I want to take everybody. See, this is, this is what comes out of this time of year. People, people don't have real things to complain about. So <laughs> instead what they do is they manufacture new arguments that don't need to be had. Someone, that conversation is about as stupid as the one I, it, I intentionally started on Twitter probably about two weeks ago where all hell broke loose when I, all I did was I asked the question, if you take a glass of milk, okay, when you, when you put milk in a glass, it's a beverage. When you pour milk into a bowl over cereal, you wouldn't call it a beverage. Does it become a sauce? And everyone lost their damn mind. <laughs> That's the same question. It's the, 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 that question that I asked makes the same amount of sense as arguing on social media over whether Diggs made Allen or Allen made Diggs. It doesn't matter. The answer is irrelevant. Yeah, 100%. We know we could just we could just talk about how Austin Collie made Peyton Manning a household <laughs> name. I remember when that happened. So our job here as podcasters is to help try and combat that. Although I've got to say, Chris, this is kind of the golden era of Bill's content creation right now. With everything that's going on in the blogging and podcasting community, there's a ton of great content if you're willing to go find it and you're not lazy about it. There's a ton of stuff going on out there that's worth putting your attention and time into. I don't think it's all Ryan Sullivan's power ranking. (laughs) With that in mind, we have a lot of fun sports conversation on the docket for you guys over the next month ahead of training camp including our happy hour series where we're going to take our drinking talents out of the studio and on the road to various watering holes around Buffalo for some collaborations with some of our favorite local podcasters in this attempt to kind of stave off some of this summer boredom that we're all suffering from because there's no real, real tangible football to discuss. But we're also going to be bringing you week by week a look at the upcoming position battles that we see for the Buffalo Bills in 2021, which is an interesting topic when you consider that there really isn't that many of them. Consider this, Chris. There is no quarterback competition, not even for the QB2 job. Yeah, that's... uh... (laughs) I mean, who would you rather have? Who would you rather have? A four-year starter 
with a career-winning record. Uh, what is he? I think he has like 52 starts. Um, fresh off a winning record, he went 6-3. and three. Completed 67% of his passes in a terrible offense. Won six games, leads his team to a playoff appearance. Do you want that guy? He's big, he's mobile, he's physical. He's essentially what you wouldn't have had last year. Chris, did you notice last year whenever they had to put in Matt Barkley, they didn't trust him to throw? Yeah, I, I know, think I, know after, I think after that New England game, they were just like, okay, if we have to put Matt Barkley on the field, we watched you go over inside the eight-yard line. We don't trust you to make anything happen. So if we have to put you in, like, say, the Chargers game, we're just going to run the ball and be done with it because we don't we don't know that we can get anything explosive enough out of you without having to completely change our offense. Yeah, they trusted Barkley throwing the ball as much as they trusted their own run game. <laughs> yeah, th- that's it. So would you rather have this guy who fits this mold, this athletic mold, who has all this experience, who's played in playoff games before in his career, or would you rather have a fifth-round draft pick with zero experience whose only upside is that his mother is really attractive? Kind of like my podcast host. <laughs> Zing! Or producer. Zoom! Producer, I'll come over there and choke you out, put you in the million-dollar dream. Never refer <laughs> to me as any type of host of this show. I offer nothing as a host. Producer. But so who on that front do you want? Give me Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky over, all day. Over Jake Fromm. Although I would like to see Jake Fromm throw an NFL touchdown pass, so Nate Geary will have to drink a Seagram's. That would be pretty funny, but I just don't see it happening. The safety, offensive tackle, defensive tackle, and linebacker positions, because of our contractual gangster of a GM, remained pretty much intact over the course of the season. The Bills are returning most of last season's starters pretty much across the board, which I think is impressive. It's a huge boon to a team that finished just one game shy of a Super Bowl. They have, from a roster to the coaching staff, they easily have the best continuity in the AFC. They they have to. Everyone says that... Plus, you're getting star back. Everyone says Kansas City is the gold standard, that they are the measuring stick for everybody else in the AFC. Kansas City lost a lot of pieces. They've got an offensive line that's in flux. They're going to have three new starters on the offensive line this year. They've got a secondary that has no NFL, like no NFL experience. So I don't know what a team like that is going to become or what their upshot is, but at least we know what we have at a multitude of different positions. But that doesn't mean there's that there's not going to be anything to watch when training camp rolls around. And so every week, we're going to be here with an in-depth look at one of them. And tonight, we're going to kick things off with a look at the upcoming battle for the starting cornerback two job. Now, the challengers to this, Levi Wallace. Levi Wallace, his claim is to fame. He's the most veteran member of our cornerback group outside of Trey White. Former undrafted free agent turned NFL starter. And just another example, I think, of how Sean McDermott's background as a former defensive back in college leads to him coaching up and getting production from defensive backs who might otherwise fall by the wayside on other teams. Roman Harper had, when the Saints thought he was too old to play, they cut him. He went to Carolina, had a career year, and they brought him back (laughs) after cutting him, after seeing how well he played for Carolina. And he went right back to being mediocre when he went back to the Saints. 
that's part of a byproduct of getting the coaching and playing in this system that Sean McDermott brings to the table. If you want to talk about unique traits, at six foot and just 178 pounds, Wallace is the second smallest cornerback on the Bills roster. And that's something that shows up when you watch him attempt to play with any kind of physicality. When he tries to play at run support, when you see him going up against bigger, more physical wide receivers, he he has he doesn't get crucified, but some of that is by design. I mean, some of our defensive scheme helps protect him from that. But he does have a great understanding of zone coverages, and he does well enough within the structure of the defense to keep himself out of trouble. Dane Jackson, I think probably his primary competition here. His claims to fame, he's a sophomore looking to increase his playing time from last year where he got five starts as a rookie. He was involved in 22, uh, we, uh, we want to call them line item transactions last year. That's not a misspeak. He le- was legitimately moved from the active roster to the practice squad and back again 11 total times from training camp to the end of the season. <laughs> the thing that that says to me is that the team clearly had a thing for him, but they weren't ready to just, hey, this is your job. We're going to throw you into the fire. Now, when you look at his unique traits, the profile on him coming out of college was that he was a somewhat average athlete, which I think is a common theme. I mean, when you look at the cornerback two group throughout McDermott's history, which we're going to talk about in a second, he, they've, they've all been pretty mediocre athletes. They can play with a little physicality. And at six foot 190, people thought that he would struggle with physical wide receivers. Last year, he did really well for himself, especially in that Arizona game where he found a way not to let DeAndre Hopkins score a touchdown that he very clearly should have had. Kind of underscores what he brings to the table in terms of his level of competition. He plays with a lot of tenacity, he's a willing tackler. And for what it's worth, he was a top 50 player according to Pro Football Focus, if you care about those people. And he ranked fifth on the team in passes defended, but he played in less than half of Buffalo's games. So when you look at the landscape of this competition, the Bills are going into the 2021 offseason with something of an issue on their hands. When you take a look at the current roster, I, I, whenever I'm doing this cut type of thing, I always trust OurLads.com. That's where I go to get all my information. So if someone wants to yell at me and tell me that I called somebody the wrong name or that, oh, well, so-and-so was just signing to... That's where I go for all of my info. But if you go look at it, it illustrates that, well, the Bills are returning their entire starting secondary and that they have a ton of depth at the safety positions. Their cornerback group looks a little thin to me for a team that thinks it can make a run at a Super Bowl. I mean, they're bringing back their starters, Trey White, uh, Teron Johnson, uh, uh, Levi Wallace, and Dane Jackson. But no one beyond those four has played an NFL snap before. So given that, it would almost be overkill to sit here and talk about any of them as having a legitimate impact on a battle for significant snaps at outside corner this season. That's fair, isn't it? I mean, I'm not here to waste everybody's time. True. So of the young players that make up the depth of this roster, rookie Rashad Wild Goose probably has the inside track on making any sort of NFL impact, given that he's the only member of our current cornerback core that was not only drafted by the team, so they invested some capital in him, but also he has legitimate deep speed. 
everyone else is kind of in that McDermott mold of okay to maybe even subpar athlete that just plays zone really well. The team has historically only kept four to five cornerbacks in the roster. And last year, they actually opted to promote extra safeties and move Saran Neal to nickel DB when Josh Norman couldn't start at the beginning of the year. So, Chris, you're talking about maybe going into week one with four cornerbacks. And if there's a training camp issue, they might roll with three again and just trust that their safeties can help get things done. You better hope that none of these cornerbacks get injured in training camp. Well, and this is it. I mean, last season showed us that depth was important. I mean, our corner, this, so this cornerback room makes me a little nervous right off the jump. Similar to how our linebacker core last year had me worried, and that lack of depth came back to bite us squarely in the ass right out of the gate. I mean, what was it, week two against Miami? And you've got A.J. Klein and Terrell Dodson dropping back into zone coverage. Yeah, that's when we didn't know how to use our linebackers in coverage. I mean, why would you put A.J. Klein in that situation? He did oh, come they, around in, against Seattle. Well, because they let him play near the line of scrimmage. They said, okay, we know you're, you only can play here. We can't trust you to take over as a middle linebacker. <laughs> like, that's just not who you are. And that scares me that we're talking about it. Because all you need is a camp injury. And all of a sudden, this position group is a real problem. Now... Even with that, the team hasn't made any, made a move yet, even with their cap space, to sign any of the veteran options that remain in the market. You know, you got Steven Nelson, he's 28 years old, just uh, released a free agent out of Pittsburgh. Richard Sherman, a 33-year-old out of San Francisco. Uh, Drake Kirkpatrick, 31 years old out of Arizona. Now, I know eyebrows might go up in my mention of that last, the last one. I say Drake Kirkpatrick because when I look at who's out there, did he go to Alabama? Yes, he did. <laughs> As a former number one cornerback in Cincy, he had a rough season in Arizona last year, and he wasn't brought back. But that whole Arizona defensive core was just poor against the pass. So I don't blame that all on Drake Kirkpatrick. I think as an experienced player in a veteran camp, veteran camp competition, you know, a body who's, hey, listen, I've played, I've played football for almost a decade. You could do a lot worse for a depth signing. Just to have a guy around in case, you know, break glass in case of emergency. Hey, this guy knows how to play football. Would you be okay with something like that, especially knowing that he's probably going to come a lot cheaper than some of the options that are out there, like the Richard Shermans and the Stephen Nelsons? Have we not been doing that for the last couple of years? Just yeah. spot replacement, your Kevin Johnsons, your Josh Normans, your EJ Gaines, your Philip Gaines, and any other kind of gains that you want to <laughs> sign. Game, the, it's a real gain train over here. I don't, I'm not a fan. I don't like it. I, I just think that if you were to bring in a guy like that at the expense of a Cam Lewis or an Elijah Griffin, yeah, I know a lot of you just went, who? Is he talking about uh, Bills players? Is he talking about people who work? Is he, is he talking about coaching? Is he talking about people who work at the stadium? Guy vendors who sell popcorn? I don't blame you. I've, I've never heard of these people, and I legitimately don't expect to hear anything more about them once camp ends. But I'd certainly be a fan of that concept. But nothing has materialized on that front. Both Nelson and Sherman are said to have suitors. The bills have been linked to both of them. And they keep saying that, hey, we'll make a decision when the time is right. Which is agents speak for, no one's offering me the money I want right now, 
So I'll hold out until I absolutely can't avoid it anymore. <laughs> hey, most of the, do you blame them, though? They don't want to go to OTAs, right? Oh, yeah. Once you get up there in age, you don't want to... You don't want to subject yourself to OTAs. Well, it's like what we were talking about before. When people raise their, oh, my God, so-and-so veteran player isn't in OTAs. Do you think they need that when they spent four, five, six years in the NFL? Probably not. So what we're looking at here is maybe a four or five horse race to see who's going to rotate at CB2. But to me, it comes down to just the top two guys. I don't see... Do you see a world where any of these rookies comes in and plays so well that we have to take them seriously as a starter for this defense this year? Not at all. I believe the competition for CB2 is between Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson. Well, and this is the thing. It's going to be a rotation. Now, I use the word rotate, and you can blame Sean McDermott for that. There's some underrated dynamics to this competition I want to look at. First of all... It's his fault, Sean McDermott, that no cornerback two for Buffalo since his arrival has played more than 75% of the snaps at boundary corner across from Trey White. And outside of, in 2019, Wallace was given a shot to prove that he was capable of being a real, legitimate, I put it in quotes, starter. After his 2018 season, he had a pretty promising end to it. So they allowed him to take the lion's share of the snaps But I think it's telling that they scaled that back and brought in a veteran in Josh Norman and paid him a lot of money to show up and do, (sighs) I don't really know what for our defense last year. Now that changes this dynamic here a little bit, I think, considering that that means regardless of who among our two most promising players at this position, Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson, wins the starting job, quote unquote, the other guy is still going to have an important role to play. And so with that, Chris, with that in mind, I bring you a chart (laughs) because that's how we do things here at the Rock Pile Report. Why don't you go ahead and tell your listeners what exactly the hell you're looking at? Uh, We have a chart that has a percentage of snaps, completions allowed, completion percentage allowed, QBR against, air yards, I guess AY per comp is air yards per comp. And you basically have all of our CB2s for the last four seasons. Yeah. Now, I will say, based on your chart, nobody did better than Vontae Davis. 100% completion percentage allowed. <laughs> it's number number one across everybody. Granted, that was his one half of football, but... He played 29 snaps and gave up three catches. Like, is that it? That's what you have to give me, Vontae Davis? Oh, what a horse's ass. So, yes, what I did was I went back to look at guys like Sharice Wright, you know, EJ Gaines, Philip Gaines, like, like you said, the gain train. Uh, I took a look back just to look at some metrics and see how this CB2 job has been done historically to try to get some ideas to what's coming and what the team might lean towards given, given the upside of both of these players. So first of all, when I chart all this data, there's a couple things that jump out to me. And for anybody who wants to see the chart, just email us, rockpowerreport 716 at gmail.com. I'm more than happy to share my research and my mania with all of you. First of all, when I take a look at all of this, and I go back from 2020 to 2019 to 2018, and I look, specifically talking about Dane Jackson here to start, he gave up 13 completions last year, playing just 9% of the team's snaps. 
that's more than a quarter of Wallace's, despite him having the lion's shares of reps. You know, Levi Wallace with his 41 completions allowed for the season. And while Jackson's passes defended numbers of five were pretty solid, and an indication that a lot like Trey White, this is something people remember when Trey White came out of college, Chris, and he kind of had this stigma. I think it's why he didn't go higher in the draft was that he couldn't get turnovers. He had a ton of pass, pass breakups, just no interception numbers. I think he went his whole senior season without an interception, but like 20-something passes defended. And so everyone goes, well, he, he, he doesn't have great ball skills, but he's a great cover corner. Imagine he, taking Trey White instead of Reuben Foster. Folks, he's talking about the epic meltdown I had on draft night when we didn't take former Alabama linebacker Reuben Foster at the, I think it was the 23rd pick, where we took... We had 27. 27. 27. Where we took Trey White, and I'm forever a horse's ass for that. That's my fault. It's my fault. My bad. My bad. Okay? I'm willing to admit that I was wrong. One of them isn't... I don't even know if he's in the NFL anymore. I think he just keeps tearing his knees up. And was arrested for some kind of spousal abuse. Meanwhile, one of them's an all pro. So, my bad, guys. I'll take an L. That is another reminder that that's why we have draft people on that know what they're talking about. Because you don't. Clearly. But so with it in mind, kind of like how his rookie season, he started off with a whole slew of pass breakups. Eventually landing at 18. Without, but he started off with a bunch of them without netting an interception, which was that same narrative he left college with. It proved that he has the chops to attack the ball in the air. But with that aggression, there's the potential for more catches to be made. And his numbers bear that out, although you can forgive some of, his, some of the catches allowed and some of the things just because of his youth and lack of experience. Now, on the flip side of this, Wallace posted the best completion percentage allowed when targeted of any to any of our defensive backs, Josh Norman, Dane Jackson, or Levi Wallace. Despite playing significantly more snaps and more t- and obviously absorbing more targets than either Josh Norman or Dane Jackson. But what I do see is Wallace posted, he posted his lowest missed tackle percentage of his entire career, 5.9%, which illustrates that while early on in his career, specifically in 2019, again, when they tried to put him out there as a starter, and I think he missed something like 16 or 17% of all of his tackles. I, you saw him out there just getting big boyed, and he wasn't taking good angles, and he was really trying to find himself as a football player. He seems to have found a way to improve in that regard. Through 2018 and 2019, Wallace showed that he had the best understanding of zone coverages of anybody capable of manning the CB2 job, which I think is illustrated by the fact that his air yards per completion were the best of anybody who didn't quit at fucking halftime. <laughs> Screw Vontae Davis forever. I'll wear that I didn't quit shirt that I won from beating the O'Neal's uh, Reaper Wing Challenge. I will, f- I will wear that with pride because that guy sucks, okay? You quit at halftime, I'll never forgive you for this. Now, when I t- just to kind of paint a picture for you guys listening as to why I think this is important. To me... In a zone defense, air yardage allowed is important because philosophically, the off-man coverage gives you a cushion that keeps an average athlete at the position from being beat over the top, allowing him to keep the play in front of him. 
But the difference between a good and a great zone corner is whether or not you can keep the yardage accumulated when you're targeted to a minimum, or if you can break up the play altogether. And look at Trey White. He's annually posted the best air yards against numbers on the entire roster, while often going up against our opponent's number one wide receivers. He's proven that in a zone scheme, he can close on a target quickly in either breakup passes, disrupt the wide receiver, or take him away as an option altogether. That's what makes him great. Now, being a good zone corner means that when you get targeted, you're just not giving up big plays. Or you make a sound tackle when the guy catches the ball in front of you. That's the idea of the zone defense is, hey, you let him catch the ball, but you close. So with that said, Levi Wallace did see an uptick in that department last season while splitting duties with Josh Norman, whereas rookie Dane Jackson actually posted the best air yardage against numbers in that department by almost two yards per completion allowed. Now, that may not sound like much, Chris. Two yards. If I told you that, hey, every time someone completes a pass against this cornerback, they got two yards more than that guy, you'd probably shrug at that, right? Yeah, seems kind of insignificant. But two yards per completion becomes a bigger deal if you're talking about that being extrapolated across a much larger sample size. And it underscores that by virtue of being bigger and also a more aggressive player just by his own nature, I mean, that's, that's the goal, right? is to be better within the structure of your defense. And in small doses, Dane Jackson showed, I think, because of his size, because of his aggressive nature, he might might be a better fit for what they're looking for out of that CB2 than Levi Wallace has shown them over his career here. Like Chris, they exposed, they almost, Levi Wallace was out there on the market. It's not like Yeah, they, he chose to come back he at a deal. He chose to essentially... Tell his agent, don't take any other phone calls because I'm just waiting for Buffalo to call me back. But it's not like Buffalo bent over backwards to try to keep it. Someone else could have come in and made an offer that blew his doors off and he would have left. I mean, that's if someone had offered him five million a year, do you think he'd be in a Buffalo Bills uniform? Right Absolutely now? not. So the fact that he's back here underscores that the team wasn't really that concerned, which is somewhat surprising to me, but also it's not... Because it's it's the kind of th- like that's the kind of thinking that led Brandon Bean to say this when he was asked by Richard Sherman on Chris Collinsworth's podcast uh, about a month or two ago, who on the roster he saw as an up and coming superstar. You know, a guy that plays your position, Dane Jackson, who was a seventh round kid out of Pittsburgh, um, due to Josh Norman had a hamstring a little bit. Levi Wallace um, had a couple injuries, and then we had. They missed games for like close contacts with COVID. We we started him uh, on the practice squad early in the year, and then brought him up. And every game he played, he had a, you know one or two interceptions. I don't remember, but every game he played, uh, his instincts are very good. You know, nobody's got a you know your instincts are very high. I'm, I'm not comparing him there, but he doesn't have all the measurables. He's, he's got some height. He's got some some straight line, but. Uh, not necessarily stop, start quick, you know, quicker than fast or anything like that. But uh, he's a young man that, uh, you know, we believe will be able to compete to start next year. We're obviously going to bring in competition for him, but he's a guy we got high hopes for as, as a young player that showed us it wasn't too big for him. And he's got a, some guys, as you know, they just got that, that natural feel for the game. You can coach guys all day long. You put them out there and some guys just, 
feel routes or can read that quarterback. And, and he showed some things in the, you know, I think we got him in about five games this year. It's Brandon Bean on Chris Collinsworth's podcast from earlier this year. So there's a reason that they feel this way, Chris. And I think a lot of it has to do with some of the numbers that we just talked about. And when you go back and you look at that chart again, okay, I mean, you can look at QBR against. I mean, Levi Wallace has done a pretty good job of having one of the better QBRs against, despite being not the most heralded player. I think they had the same kind of high hopes for Levi Wallace. But it's noteworthy that your GM isn't out here talking about the veteran who just, uh, the three year veteran who just resigned with your team. He's out here talking about a sophomore who he's really excited about, who his scouting department scouted and intentionally drafted. Even if it's in the seventh round, I think that means something. So you have that to think about. And there's these metrics and there's the statistical data as it pertains to this upcoming battle. And I think that it underscores that each player has a philosophical upside and a downside that the team is going to have to try and reason out. Do you want to, in a season where you think you can win a championship, afford more snaps to a veteran player who, while not being anything special in terms of dynamic coverage presence, has proven to be steady and not an outright liability? Or are they going to prefer to defer to a younger, more athletic, and more aggressive player who was winning reps against Stefan Diggs during minicamp and who they saw a lot of upside and compete out of this last year when he got opportunities to start. In hopes of discouraging quarterbacks from targeting that position. I mean, remember, we think, in fact, let me preface this. We've talked about this a number of times in our podcast, so if you listeners out there have heard it and you're sick of hearing it, plug your ears, unless you're driving. I mean, that's, in fact, that's up to you. You do what you want. It's a free country. But... The Bills' defense in 2017, Sean McDermott's first year with the zone, with his zone system here, with these safeties and these, you know, he had some other linebackers. But you can argue these are better linebackers than what we had in 2017. Our safeties each had five interceptions, and our linebackers did a really good job in pass coverage. The following year in 2018, team said, "Okay, we're just not throwing down the middle of the field and testing these safeties." Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to dink and dunk in front of their defense and make them rally to tackle, and we did an atrocious job of that. So then they became better in that regard. They found better tacklers. They got better linebackers to help in that regard. You come in, and now you have a better team in that sense up the middle. You're starting to rally tackle. Well, now teams say, okay, in 2019, Levi Wallace, when he got his quote-unquote start, he, was, he saw he was tied for ninth in the NFL in terms of targets while playing outside boundary cornerback aside, uh, on the other side of the field from Trey White. While playing this highest snap percentage of his career. Teams say, hey, I'm not going to go at Trey White. If we have to design something pre-snap, our first read, more often than not, could probably be over there on the other side of the field away from Trey White. You have to do something to discourage them and push them back towards targeting the middle of the field because that's where your turnovers are going to come from. Look at Teron Johnson. When teams decided, okay, I'm not finding anything open on the boundary. Trey White's taking this away. I don't want to test those safeties. I know what I'll do. I'll pick on Teron Johnson. Teron Johnson saw double the targets in 2020 that he has at any point in his career. 
and he responded with one of his best seasons ever, including two crippling interceptions. The interception that turned the tide in the Pittsburgh Steelers game and the touchdown that was the pick six that won us that Baltimore game. You need to make teams worry about trying to attack that CB2 position. And so in that way, maybe this team wants to give that position to a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical and aggressive player who's going to make cornerbacks think twice before they try to attack it, knowing that there's a pass breakup possible, that there's a possible interception coming. You could make a case for both. Now, that brings us to our picks on this. And when I say our picks, I want you to understand that when we're doing these types of exercises for the rest of the summer, we're going to be talking about not what we think is going to happen, but what we'd like to see happen. Now, for those of you who don't know the difference, I've got an analogy for you. Do I think I'm ever going to win the Powerball? No, absolutely not. Would I like to win it? Sure. Then I can become a supervillain like Jeff Bezos. Total aside, Chris, for anyone who, for anybody out there who doesn't realize this, Jeff Bezos is about to complete step like three in a five-step process of becoming a real-life Lex Luthor. Look, look at uh, a mass a mass of fortune, develop uh, some really futuristic tech, like tech and AI that kind of runs the world. Okay, he's got that. Uh, build a mobile fortress. I mean, they're calling it a yacht, but do you know that? Do you know it's a yacht? No, he's probably listening to us right now <laughs> through my brand new Fire Tablet. <laughs> See? Surveillance equipment. And then, I mean, Chris, aren't henchmen and employees basically the same thing? Yes. Yeah, he's got, he's got millions of them. Okay. He's literally checking all the boxes here, and then he announces that he's going to step away from, hey, I'm going to retire from uh, Amazon. Oh, just to free up your schedule to take over the damn world. I'm on to you, Bezos. I, I see you. Let me ask you this. When you say our picks, this clearly includes a Seagram's if one of us is wrong. Correct? Oh, Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. I'll have to keep tabs on this. Okay. So, Chris, with all of this information that I've just laid at your doorstep in mind, what, what's your pick here if you had to make one? So, if we're going CB2, let me, and there's going to be Seagram's on this. I mean, are we going, like, is this, who is in the graphic when the defense takes the field week one against Pittsburgh. Yes. Who does the team trust to take the lion's share of the snaps in 2021? I'm going to go that it's going to be Dane Jackson is going to take it in camp, and we will see his name week one against Pittsburgh on the graphic that he is starting across from Trey White. What say you? Well, since it's a free country and it's my podcast, and I can do whatever I want. Uh, first, I think we should sign a veteran player. <laughs> I think that there needs to be... Levi Wallace is clearly expendable to this team. Otherwise, they wouldn't have exposed him to potentially being poached by every other team in football. I think that there's a need to bring in somebody here and add them to this mix because I don't like the concept that there is no experience behind Levi Wallace. What happens if, God forbid, and I'm going to knock on wood for even putting this into the ether, Trey White goes down with an injury. 
who do you trust to come in and do that job and act as your depth? Do, do you want something named Elijah Griffin? I, I swear to God, the first time I read his name, this isn't me being, I'm not being crass. I'm not trying to insult the guy. I legitimately thought it said Ouija and I had to read it like three times. Elijah, so this, this Griffin, you trust him? Isn't that like um, Warren G's kid? I think so. I don't even know who Warren G is. Of course no. you don't. You don't no. know movies. You don't know Warren G. You're in a. You're just a. You're a sad sack over here. But I just don't like it, and so I think that I would like to see them bring in a veteran to man that position, or to at least compete for that job. So it's Dane Jackson versus somebody not on the roster. Yes, I mean, and if I can't have that, then I think Dane Jackson should be given a look as a starter. I mean, we already know what Levi Wallace is. Jackson is the guy more needing of time to develop. I mean, Wallace has had his shot. And I think the fact that they brought in Josh Norman last year and paid him all that money underscores that in one full season of him being the de facto starter, they weren't impressed. And they they were so unimpressed that they spent, what, $7 million, I want to say, they paid Josh Norman? I don't even remember. $7 Something million nice on a one-year like deal? That means they don't trust Levi Wallace to do that job alone. That's what that means. So with that said, Jackson needs time to develop. And sometimes right into the fire, now that he's got a taste of it, is the way to get that done. With the way that our offense, there's another reason I think this. With the way that our offense scores and the way that they rotate this anyway, even if he did end up coming in and looking like a fish out of water, I can't imagine him making mistakes glaring enough to cost us a football game. I mean, the Buffalo Bills had the second highest scoring offense in football last year. So when you have a cornerback who's young and learning his craft, you can almost afford to have a guy who you say, okay, he's going to make some pass breakups. He'll get his plays. He might make a mistake or two. It might get us burned. I don't know. But you can err on the side of that when your offense can, can make up for some of those mistakes. And then I think this idea that his attacking style and his physicality that he's able to play with because he's bigger than Levi Wallace I think that gives him an advantage over Levi because when you look at our schedule, we play two games against the Jets. Okay, their boundary wide receivers are uh, the second year Corey Davis, Corey Davis, and Denzel Mims, both of whom who that's the book on them is that they're big, physically imposing receivers. Two games against Miami, Parker and Fuller, big, physical, fast receivers. Pittsburgh has Clay, uh, Claypool and Juju Smith Schuster. Tennessee has Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Tampa has maybe the best wide receiver core in the NFL. No, Wallace probably doesn't go into those games and cost us. He doesn't blow things for us. But with his lack of size and just his lack of aggressiveness, my fear is that Wallace, if given the lion's share of snaps, could find himself at a significant disadvantage against guys like that. Because he just doesn't have the level of compete that Dane Jackson showed. I mean, even when you go back to those games, he was... I mean, the book on him coming out of college was that he was going to catch a lot of P.I. flags because of how physically he plays. Well, that didn't materialize last year in his five starts. And the fact that he was still able to... He was still able and willing to get involved, break up passes, be physical with wide receivers. Something that we haven't seen out of Levi Wallace. 
I just think that that underscores why I'd like to see Jackson come out of this thing, living up to the expectations that are set out in front of him by our GM on that podcast. Chris, we're in agreement here on this one. Dan Jackson. Well, now you took the field. You think that's going to be somebody coming in? Well, I think they. I think they should. So how about that? If they bring somebody in, you drink a Seagrams. If they don't, I'll take it. No, it's it's the graphic week one against Pittsburgh. Who's across from Trey White? Steve Nelson. You think we're bringing? Okay, You're, you had you have the you have. I'm, I want Steve Nelson with Dane Jackson waiting in the wings. I'll I'll have Dane Jackson at two, and then you will have the field, which is somebody not on this roster. I love that you gave me that option. That's huge. All right, Dane Jackson, Stan, you have yourself a bet. We'll shake on it because we're gentlemen. Yep. Oh, God. See, now these are the types of conversations where I'm like, this is something tangible that I can sink my teeth into. I have data. I've got charts. Charts. I've got philosophy I can apply. This is a sports conversation that I want to have. This is the type of thing I want to listen to, and hopefully you guys out there agree with us, because we're going to be back with one of these every single week for the upcoming month, right up until training camp. So make sure you're checking back, along with our other podcasts. I mean, our next show that's going to drop probably Monday night, we're going to have Anthony Chiandra, probably not known to a lot of you out there as Bill's podcast fans. There's been this narrative growing that the Pagulas are really, really great Football owners, I mean, their football team is flourishing. They're also owners of one of the worst. Chris, you're a hockey fan. You can maybe speak to this. One of the biggest eyesores of a hockey organization. Not just team, but an organization in the NHL. This is the worst. This is the worst the Sabres have ever been. Ever. Not just as Ever. a team on the ice, but also just as an organization. Yeah, it's from the top down. Management, coaching, the players. Somebody's a cancer on this on the Sabres, and I want to know who it is. And so what we're going to do is we bring in Anthony Chiandra from ExpectedBuffalo.com. We're going to take an in-depth look at the Pagula's role and the Jekyll and Hyde nature of their ownership of these two franchises to try to sort out who are they as sports owners. I think it's going to be a fun conversation. You guys hopefully are going to enjoy it. That's the type of stuff we're going to be bringing to you guys each and every week alongside of these camp battle previews. Hopefully you enjoy it. If not, just know that we'll be sitting here drinking and doing it anyway. (laughs) We love you guys. And hey, Tonawanda Proud, keep your chin up, brother, all right? It'll get better. I know it. I know it will. We got to get out of here, guys. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.